brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Radio on time, on target. It's Wednesday. You know what that means. It's a new week of shows, and I'm holding it down as usual. Ian Scotto here, excited to be here. And uh, we have Luke Ryan coming on. That should be great. And before we get to that, though, I might as well check what you guys are emailing. Softrep.radio at softrep.com. Here's a new one from Steve Rutledge, who's emailed us before. Good to hear from you, Steve. Greetings, gents. Catching up on episodes and just heard Brad Thor. By the way, I'll I'll jump in here. If you guys haven't heard the Brad Thor episode, that's episode 366. Check it out. Uh, great episode, relatable topics, as my son is deployed to Europe with the first CAV for Operation Atlantic Resolve, a.k.a. Russian Deterrence. Uh, won't give locations, etc. for OPSEC reasons. Interesting to hear his take. And he writes as well, enjoyed Emmett O'Looney's on my last city visit. Yup, that's our flagship bar, I would say. Go to Emmett O'Looney's in uh, Times Square. Not to be confused with his father's bar. There's O'Looney's. Um, Emmett O'Looney's is closer to the Times Square area. It's 48th, 49th. I'd have to remember. It's right near where Sirius XM is. But if you go in there, you'll see Brandon Webb's book on the wall. Uh, you'll see Will Cow's stuff, Chris Peranto's book, Leo Jenkins, Marty Scovland. So many guys that you've heard on the show have their, uh, their work on the wall there. And Emmett's just a great dude. Anyway, so he writes Semper Fi, Steve Rutledge. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I love having Brad Thor on. As I always say, you know, it's like an A-list guest. It's cool to have him as a friend of the show. Uh, and I think he's just a really smart guy. There's a reason that every time he puts out a book, it's at the top of the New York Times bestseller list because the guy is just incredibly consistent with his work. I'm going to get Luke Ryan on. We're going to talk about everything going on that he's been writing about, which is really Myanmar uh, and Burma, but he also has a new book out, so we'll talk about that. But before we do, I want to talk about Blue Chew. Blue Chew, I mean, if sex was an Olympic sport, Blue Chew would be banned. Uh, It gives you confidence in bed. Guys, if you're looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to BlueChew.com. That's BlueChew.com. It's the first ever chewable that brings your performance to another level. Check this out. They've got the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know that they work. It's not some nonsense that they put together. One of these like proprietary blends of God knows what's in there. Uh, And since they're chewable, they'll work faster than a pill. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And this stuff is cheaper than those other two. So this is a no brainer. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line because Blue Chew ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. That's a big A lot of guys don't want to go to the doctor's office, have that discussion, also just be bothered with the whole thing. You just go right to BlueChew.com and get it done. So here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use the promo code SOFREP. You just pay $5 shipping. That's pretty damn cool. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Use our promo code SOFREP. And with that, I'm going to get over to our friend who uh, I love hearing from, Luke Ryan. Back on SOFREP radio is Luke Ryan, favorite of the show, former Army Ranger, 
And uh, I, I do want to talk about your new book that just came out. Uh, it looks awesome, and it's really not in totally in our realm. I mean, I think our audience will dig it, but it's not like a military book. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to talking about that. I, I think the first thing that we have to mention, though, and definitely get out of the way is just rest in peace to John McCain. Mm-hmm. And I think this audience, the people who have been on this show, really do revere him as a hero. Um, one of the things that I, I've seen so many people say over these past few days is it's like, I don't agree with the man on everything, but I respect his service, respect what he did in Vietnam, being tortured um, by, you know, uh, at the Hanoi Hilton the way he did and, and st- you know, standing up for his guys, basically everything that, that Senator McCain went through. The thing for me is I feel like saying I don't agree with everything that uh, he did kind of goes unsaid, man. How many people did agree with John McCain and everything? I mean, like, I think unless you're Lindsey Graham, like everybody had differences with this man on politics, but the way he lived his life is, was truly heroic and a life of service, I would say. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's totally it. I mean, you, the, the, the whole point of opposition, you know, in politics in an ideal scenario is, to have a, you know, ideally you have an, a, a mutual respect for whoever you're up against, whether it's people in uh, the opposite political party or people in your own political party that you feel like are taking it in a direction that you don't want to. Um, you know, everybody can, I feel like always progress and move forward if there's a sense of respect. Um, and I think McCain certainly earned you know, quite a bit of respect for, for all the reasons that you're talking about. I remember, I remember hearing a lot about him when I was in, in uh seer school. Um, you know, he's sort of, a the poster child of, of, of resistance, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, how, how, how long was he in, in, uh, he was a POW in Vietnam, like five years, I think five and a half years. I mean, that's, that's insane. I mean, seer, you know, you're, it's, it's a school that you know, that's going to end and it still sucks. But, uh, man, suddenly I, I, I can't even fathom, you know, spending five and a half years in captivity like that. And that's insane. Yeah, it, it is. And I think like his story is just such a true American story. I, yeah. I saw people posting, um, pictures with him. Um, I never got to meet Senator McCain, but I did see him speak in New Hampshire. I went to New Hampshire during the 2008 presidential primary. I was, mm-hmm. uh, I'll openly say I was a big Ron Paul guy at the time. I, I still am. I love Ron Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got to see several people speak, including yeah. John McCain. Uh, and the thing that really stood out to me about seeing John McCain was I remember there was a group of protesters. I think there were anti-war protesters who came out and he was giving a speech, which was going to be followed by a Q and a session. And mm-hmm. it was in just some school gymnasium. Uh, and during the speech, these people just interrupted, got up and security got ready to kick them out. And, and like, as you can imagine today, if that was it, it, certainly, if that was Donald Trump, he'd say, get these people out of here. Uh, sure. I, I could see Hillary Clinton very much saying get, get these people out of here, maybe not yeah, yeah. in as strong of language as Donald Trump. But the difference that I saw was John McCain actually insisted to security. He was like, nope, let these people stay. And, you know, if they could sit down and, and be quiet like everybody else, they could ask me questions after. And yeah, like to me, that was just a class act. And, and he not only answered like a ton of questions. And by the way, I saw Barack Obama in New Hampshire that year who mm-hmm. just did a speech, didn't do a Q&A. Um, but McCain answered a ton of questions and he even gave people like follow up questions. And there were people that he said, like, look, if you don't have the same position as me, maybe I'm not the candidate for you. But he was totally candid with his answers. Um, and I think everybody who asked a question felt pretty fulfilled and took pictures after. I have friends that I went to college with who got a picture with John McCain. And, uh, it, you know, just seeing that day really stood out to me. And it was one of those things where I, I just think he's a guy who. It, people who met him. It definitely seems like people who served with him in the Senate, he earned their respect. Yeah. I mean, Senator McCain is, a, is no doubt there was a very principled guy. And, and I, I think one of the things missing in American politics these days is somebody with an ethical backbone. And, you know, at, there are points 
where you wish that you would have someone with an ethical backbone that doesn't necessarily agree with all the policies that you want, but you just wish that they actually, you felt that they actually truly, honestly, you know, cared about whatever it is that they're talking about. And, you know, I, I think one, one indicating factor of that is, is that their, their ideologies don't necessarily 100% line up with their party all the time. So, you know, McCain, Senator McCain was, he, he'll be, he did, he did quite a, he did quite a few things that was necessarily not popular among his circles. I mean, the, the one that comes to mind was, and this is obviously based on his experiences, his very, very staunch, um, what's the word? His opposition. staunch opposition to any kind of torture and waterboarding and stuff like that in, in, during all the talk about Guantanamo Bay and, and that was in, uh, 2004, 2005, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and obviously, and that's based off of life experience. And, and I think that's absolutely fundamentally important in having that ethical backbone is, is having real world experience, having experience where you got your hands dirty, you've got your, you know, your, you've been in the mud and in the trenches at some point in your life. And, you know, you can say a lot about Senator McCain and very, um, disagree with him quite a bit like I do on a few things, but, but you know, he's a principled guy and a lot of that comes out of his personal experience. And I definitely can d- disagree with someone and respect them. And I mean, honestly, personally, I, re- I agreed with probably a lot more than I disagreed with, but you know, I, I just, I think, I think a lot of people are talking about that now upon his, his death because it's something that we're yearning for. It's something that, you know, the, the first video that, that went viral that I saw after his death was, was of, of him talking about Obama with, you know, that, that lady's asking him, yeah. have you seen that video? Oh yeah. Uh, and it's making the rounds. Yeah. It's making the rounds again. And, um, you know, people, I feel like a lot of people yearn for that now. That, and for people who don't that, know what we're talking about, it's it's the video with the woman, older woman, saying, you know, I can't trust Barack Obama. He's a Muslim. He was, uh, yeah, he's Arabic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and Senator McCain's like, it's like, no, he's a he's a decent man. He's a family man. We just disagree politically. And you know, there's no question as to his opposition toward Obama, but. Which, but and, which if by he's the way, run, whether if he's going to run a race against him, he's going to do it in a way that is fitting of of you know of a of a, what he believes to be a U.S. politician ought to be. Yeah, I was just going to jump in there and say, which is very different from like, look, this audience, whether you support President Trump or not, it's extremely different than the way he would handle a question like that. Like it goes without saying. Yeah, I mean, the last election, everyone knows, is was a knife fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it was, it was pretty brutal. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's something that I, you know, I, I wish would be more, more common. Someone, someone can, can run, you know, with a level of res- respect and, and like, yeah, like I always say, having an ethical backbone. I mean, at but, the end of the day, these guys in government, they have to work with each other. And we sometimes lose sight of that because it's mm-hmm. it's become like the WWE. It really has become like this <laughs> yeah. soap opera of sorts. And, yeah. you know, I remember my friend um, Rick Unger, who hosted Steel and Unger, former uh, CEO of Marvel Entertainment Group. He's been on actually with Brandon before. Um Great guy, but when he was doing Steel and Unger, you know, Rick is a independent Democrat. Uh, independent, I, I don't actually know if he's a registered Democrat, but I was going to say is like an, a left leaning guy. Sure. He's by no mm-hmm. means like a hardcore progressive or anything like that, but he, he mm-hmm. leans left, just like Michael Steele, his co host, was right leaning, but I wouldn't say super conservative or anything. Um, yeah. So they had some member of the House on the, on the uh, show at one time. And he said to Rick, like, I didn't go to Washington, D.C. to work with Democrats. And mm-hmm. Rick was like, well, then why are you there? And I, mm-hmm. and I think people do need to realize that, like, I, whatever you're wherever you stand politically, like these guys are supposed to be making deals and working together. That's how this country works best. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that, and I think that's something we need to all kind of realize again, you know, and I, I, from what I understand about American history, it's been something that we all have needed to realize over and over again. <laughs> um, you know, this certainly isn't, hasn't been the last, the first, nor will it be the last super controversial, brutal election. Yeah. And, you know, I think people at the end of the day need to realize that in order to move forward, you're going to have to work together. You're uh, either moving toward yeah. an amicable, uh, future or you're moving toward a violent future and it's one or the other. And I'm not saying, you know, civil war 2.0 is around the corner or anything, but you're either headed in one direction or you're headed in the other. And I that's what, that's what a lot of people who have spent their careers building bridges understand people like, you know, Martin Luther King jr. Um, you know, Booker T Washington is a hero of mine. Uh, you know, and, and, and honestly, you know, Senator McCain certainly made, made a lot of efforts in that regard. Yeah. Um, I just know as, as a student of history, you know, when people look at the greatest times in this country, it was when there was some opposition and, you know, groups working together. People always say yeah. Bill Clinton working with Newt Gingrich. People say uh, Ronald Reagan working with Tip O'Neill. Those are like the times that Americans celebrate as as like some of the best years of this country. So I sure. think John McCain had... Uh, foresight of that and and by the way if people are listening they're they're like wow you must be this like giant john mccain fan i'm not by by any means i just i think that certain things about his philosophy showed that he was a man who had experience and like the foresight to see what some of the things that this country needed yeah and it's okay to you know you're not you're not necessarily looking at someone's whole history with uh rose tinted glasses just because you know you say positive things about them it's okay for the country to be in mourning for a, a great public servant that that undoubtedly served his country for years and years and years and years and you don't have to be his biggest supporter in order to appreciate that yep i agree so rest in peace uh senator john mccain uh now let's get into your book so the first marauder is available now on amazon.com it's the first book of an upcoming trilogy I have not read the book, but from what I've read, this is almost one of those zombie apocalypse, end of the world type books, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a viral apocalypse. So basically, a an, un, an unknown weaponized virus has wiped out a huge population of the world, and it's set four years after that happened. And there's a kid, his name's Tyler Ballard, he's 15, and He's so many people have died that he's the only person that he knows who has a living family member left. Uh, and it's his brother and his brother is killed. This is before the beginning, like right before the beginning, his brother is killed by a, a nearby town. Um, as the, these two towns, it's Tampa, uh, well, East Tampa, it's, it's whittled down to just a portion of Tampa, East Tampa and a nearby town of Lakeland. And they're skirmishing over resources is essentially what's happened. And during a raid, Tyler's, older brother is killed. And so the, the minimum age to join the Tampa militia is 16. So he lies about his age and joins the militia hoping to find revenge. But, um, he, a lot of this book is about the discovery of war and, you know, uh, fiction really can dramatize reality. It can tell certain stories that, that just, you know, rehashing some facts can't, it can, you know, especially like emotional truths. Um, and, and this is a lot about the, it's kind of a dark story. It's, you know, the main character is 15, but it's not, it's not really geared toward teenagers so much, but it's, it's, it's about the discovery of war through the eyes of a, of, you know, a, a, essentially a child. I mean, and, and I'm, I combine a lot of my own experiences into this book. I, you know, obviously my, my deployments to Afghanistan, I put in there these, these sort of, these, um, you know, my, my personal discovery of war. And it's, it's not like I'm, I'm retelling firefights or something like that in here. It's, it's more, you know, that feeling of, of the first time, you know, you hear gunshots go off that feeling, you know, the first time you see someone get shot or, you know, your friend gets shot or something like that, you know, these, these really deep seated feelings and what you do with all that, you know, the emotions that you, how do you deal with these emotions? How do you deal with it during combat? How do you, which is you just push it down and push it away and keep doing your job, which is basically what you do. But, 
Um, you know, how do you deal with that later? Do you deal with it later? Or do you just keep pushing it down forever? And, uh, I was also in a school shooting when I was in eighth grade. And, uh, I, I so I kind of integrate that cause he's, he's a little bit older than I was during that, but in this book, but, um, you know, that again, child discovering the nature of war is kind of a rude awakening from, I mean, he's already survived this terrible apocalyptic event. So he already knows a little bit about things, but you know, it's, it's one thing to see that and another thing to actually be actively a part of this infighting. I think we, we went in, in depth on, you know, the school shooting that you experienced the first time you were on. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, that does seem like something that, that would inspire this book. Are you a fan of, uh, the walking dead and world war Z and all that type of stuff? Was that an influence? Yeah, I like I like a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff. I I you know, I was on the zombie train at first just like everyone else and probably like everyone else now I'm just sort of, you know, maybe a little bit taxed on it. Um I don't know that I would ever write or or you know, make any sort of zombie story myself. Um I I I really what fascinates me is the breakdown of society while still using modern weapons of war. So you know, the, this, this idea that, um, uh, well, and I think that's, that's sort of the, our whole current society's fascination with post-apocalyptic fiction, you know, all, all these movies like the book of Eli or like you're saying, the walk of dead, walking dead and, um, you know, all the resident evil movies. I mean, I'm sure you could probably, you know, you look up a list and you could probably rattle off 20 post-apocalyptic stories, and I think our, our society has a sort of fascination with that. And, and, you know, I've been, I've been kind of wondering why recently one theory I have is that you sort of long, not nobody actually longs for that to happen, but people have like this, this fantastical idea. They, they like to, as a thought experiment, they like to think about it partially because we are delving further and further into a world of comfort. So it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. So when people are, are struggling more, you might start to see fiction that is the opposite of that. You know what I mean? You might just start to see fiction, maybe science fiction, like Star Trek type stuff where, where people are generally okay as far as society at large goes. Um, but I, I I don't know exactly. I guess there is definitely a fixation these days that did not exist before on post-apocalyptic stuff. And I'm absolutely a part of that. It's interesting you you said that because I thought you were going to go the opposite direction and say that the reason people are so fascinated with this is how polarized the world is now. It's like you you know it's really two sides of the spectrum. If you're a Trump supporter, you're on one side. If you know you're a liberal or progressive, you're on the other side. And like it really is like a civil war happening. But I think that's yeah. another perspective for sure that everything is getting so easy. You, you literally do not have to leave your house anymore. You could have everything delivered right to you. Um, Mm -hmm. everything from food to, uh, pretty much any, anything that you would need around your house. Um, so I agree. We are getting softer. We are getting lazier. Uh, I wonder if people almost feel like becoming a prepper and, you know, getting into all that and, and learning how to be self-reliant is like a throwback to another time because uh, I don't know. Some people probably think those skills are not necessary, but there there certainly could be a time where it, you know it'll be good to have those skills. Well, people people don't understand, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not a doomsday sayer or anything like that. You, you, you know, like I said before, be I don't necessarily think civil. What's that? You don't believe we're going to be sent to FEMA camps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and um, but. I do think that society at, well, American society at large does not quite grasp how close civil Western civilization is constantly to, to devolving into violence in, in a medieval sort of, you know, state. Um, and, and it takes a lot of effort and people make that, that effort, you know, and that's part of what, why this country is awesome. You know, people are constantly making that effort to keep us from, from devolving into a state like that. But I think deep down, you know, people know that we as human beings on sort of a, on sort of a philosophical level are really pretty close to always devolving back into these animalistic, violent creatures. And 
you know, the, this fiction always fiction can either serve as a longing or it can serve as, um, you know, a reflection of, of different traits that, you know, a, a society or a culture or a civilization has deep down. Um, and, and that's definitely part of it. And as to your point before, definitely in, in the first Marauder. So I, I usually describe it as the discovery of war and politics. So it's about him discovering the nature of war, but he's also discovering the politics on a small scale of these towns throughout. Cause he gets kind of mixed up in, in the higher level politics as time goes on of both towns. And he starts to see the, you know, just how things really work when it comes to politicians and when it comes to the soldiers fighting wars for them. And it, it's not, it's not this, like, it's, it's not the same overdone story of, you know, this guy is all ideological. And then by the end, he thinks that life is terrible. You know, it's not this just pessimistic, uh, sort of thing where, you know, he just gets PTSD and shakes his fist at the sky and, you know, and is like about the life in the world. It's, it's not quite like that. It deals with a lot of those issues. You know, it certainly deals with PTSD, but it does it in a way that I feel like is underrepresented in the media and, in, and in fiction. And it's that, you know, in regards to PTSD, it's that quiet burden in regards to politicians. It's that nuance and that, that, uh, those crazy complexities and the idea of bureaucracy and, and when it comes to war, you know, it's all the obvious complications that come with that. I I feel like in, in, you see it on the internet. There's this group of people who kind of glamorizes an upcoming apocalypse and the country splitting and everything becoming yeah. more polarized than it is. Mm. You know, you see these people saying like, Oh, I wish I, I hope I step outside and one of these like Antifa <laughs> tries to fuck with me. Like I'll murder him, yeah. that type of Dude. thing. Uh, so yeah. my, I'm just curious for you as someone who has seen civil war, who has seen societies where a war is really happening and, and has been in combat. D- does it kind of piss you off that glamorization by people who don't know the first thing about war? Yeah. People, people who say that have no idea what they're talking about, especially when it comes to civil war, civil war, you know, the American civil war is the highest, is the highest casualty producing war in our history. I mean, and, um, I mean, it's, it's something you absolutely do not because those guys who, who glamorize it or or think that kind of stuff, or just, you know, I wish they would kind of people, they don't, they don't get how that kind of stuff works. What would really happen is, you know, they, they get ready to go. You know, they got, you got all your, you got whatever you're going to, you're, you get prepared. However you think you're going to get prepared. And then something totally is going to hit you from left field. Like, your little brother is going to get accidentally killed by someone who's supposed to be on your side. And then what do you do? You you go shoot that dude. And then, you know, I mean, it's war is so insanely complicated and things, things like that happen all the time. People do not understand just the sheer amount of, of heartbreak, despair, and all this stuff. A lot of people thinks, think that it would be, you know, some crapshoot or think that it would be some glorious revolution or I don't know what exactly they think, but it's not going to be that it's just going to be bad. Um, and, and so, and, and I think this, I try to reflect that in this book. It's not, there's nothing good about it in this book. Um, that doesn't mean that there aren't causes worth fighting for, for sure. But yeah, <laughs> not, not in the, those people, I know exactly who you're talking about and, and that's not something that, that, uh, it, it, it's just not, it never works out the way that those types of people think it would. And honestly, those types of people are probably going to be the first people to take a bullet to the face anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so why, why a trilogy? This is the first of an upcoming trilogy. You're going to do two more books. What made you say that I have to do two more books in this series? Um, I really, I, I am really interested in expanding this entire universe this trilogy is going to span the, the length of around, see around 45, 50 years, this trilogy. So, and then I'm going to write, and then I'm planning to write two more books, one really short one and one a little bit longer one right after that, that are completely separate from this storyline. But, um, you know, in the same universe, I'm, I'm really, I love world building. I love this idea of having a universe and exploring it and building it and, and, tinkering with all the different facets of this, this new world and, 
people who are struggling to, you know, some people who are struggling to take advantage of the weak and vulnerable and other people who are struggling to try to, you know, rebuild what was lost. And, you know, I love, I love that world and I love taking a new fresh take on it. Um, and I, I've been thinking about this sort of universe in this world for a really, really long time. And I'm excited to finally be writing about it. That's great. So it's the first Marauder. It's available now on Amazon.com. Check it out. Just came out this month. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear that that you finally got it out there. And as I often say to authors on the show, like there's so many people who I talk to. There's There's guys who have been affiliated with the site, even who haven't put out a book. And they'll say like, Man, I got, they, they'll tell me for years they have to write a book, but they don't actually get started on it. And I think it, it really takes some personal, um, you know, just, just being resilient on your own and, and also uh, just ha- having the self-discipline to say, I'm going to self-publish this, I'm going to put it out, and you don't have anyone on your back. You don't have a publisher, you don't have an editor giving you a deadline. Like, you have to do this mm-hmm. all on your own. And not yeah, many there, people are able to do it. There are benefits to it. You know, I have complete creative control to be successful and also to totally mess it up though. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it definitely, it took a certain amount of discipline. You know, I just, just plug away at it every day and, and, um, you know, it, it and then one day it's, you get closer and closer and closer and then you finish the first draft and then, then you do, I, I do like a million, million revisions, you know, <laughs> um, just to try to get it as good as I possibly can, you know, try to refine out all the details, whether it's just normal stuff like writing, you know, technical stuff like grammar and whatnot, spelling, but also, you know, trying to really highlight or outline or strengthen certain story aspects or, or strengthen certain characters in different ways that really highlight my themes and total overall ideas of the story and all that stuff. And, yeah. So it, it takes, definitely takes a certain amount of discipline, but it's absolutely possible, especially if my rule was just work on it for five minutes every day at the very least. And more often than not, that five minutes turns into 15 or 20 minutes or an hour or two hours as I get sucked into it. Yeah. But you know, worst case scenario, I write a paragraph, two paragraphs or edit, you know, a page or something and I'm done. You know, Hey, at least I did something. Very well said. Uh, and that's some good advice. I know Jack recently on, on the show was talking about being a writer and he said, you know, just write a page every day and Mm -hmm. by the end of the year, you'll have a book. I think what you're saying is true though. It's never going to be a consistent page every day. I think, as you said, if you're writing something good, you're going to get sucked into it at a certain point and you're not going to want to stop. I would think so that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, I want to get into some news as well. You sent me this article from the independent, the UN calling Mm -hmm. for Myanmar generals to be prosecuted for genocide, war crimes and crimes against humanity. Uh, now this is something you've been reporting on for a long time now. Uh, you wrote an article earlier this year about how doctors without borders were reporting 8,170 deaths earlier this year within a month. Uh, mm-hmm. Over 1,200 of those were children under five, which is absolutely yep. appalling. Um, yep. And this is the situation there in Myanmar as well as Burma. And I wanted to just get your take on this now that the UN is getting involved. Yeah, man. I mean, th- this is an interesting topic to talk about, especially in our kind of circles, because the way that the Burmese government, or the Myanmar, Burma, it's the same thing, uh, the way that the Myanmar government sells this is as an Islamic extremist problem, you know, and they, they, you know, a lot of guys in our circles understand that. And, uh, but it's, it's really not, I mean, this is coming out of state sponsored media organizations and that's it, you know, literally every source on the ground I've been there, you know, a few times and, um, you know, every source on the ground that is non-state sponsored government is, you know, or non Chinese is, is basically, um, corroborating all of these horrific things that are happening, which is essentially, yes, a legitimate attack on the, on the government from this group called ARSA. And then the government responds by basically this, this insanely, uh, aggressive, just a military offensive against civilians, against every, everyone and anyone Rohingya. So, and that, that has eventually drove, I think it was around 90% of Rohingya out of their homes, uh, 90, the entire population in, in Myanmar. And then I, which amounted to approximately 700,000 Rohingya 
having to flee from their homes over into the border of, of, uh, Bangla- uh, the Bangladesh border. And which actually isn't, this isn't actually the first time. That's another thing that the Myanmar government doesn't really tell people is that, I mean, they, they've been pushing military offensives against civilians for longer than I've been alive for sure. So, I mean, this is, this is nothing new. It's just the, it's the latest brand and it, it is more aggressive than usual. But, um, I mean, some, some estimates are saying that, uh, 10,000 people were killed in the violence overall. That's in the, in the latest UN, uh, that's a conservative estimate and the UN, I have a lot of problems with the UN, especially having worked with and been around the UN, uh, um, with aid workers on the ground, but they, they do tend to be pretty accurate in a lot of their information, fact finding stuff, at least when it comes to Myanmar. Um, you know, I can't speak for every country around the globe when it comes to that stuff, but when it comes to Myanmar, a lot of their aid reporting and a lot of that stuff is, is pretty accurate. And, and for them to say what they've been saying and, you know, I'll roll my eyes just like the next guy and that it it might be just more talk, but I mean, this is pretty, it is pretty significant. I mean, they're, they're naming six generals by name right now, uh, six military generals. Um, and you know, for this offensive that this latest offensive that started in August, and that's, I mean, that's pretty, pretty significant. I mean, they're, they're talking, I mean, and, and their point is, is obvious. I mean, these guys are using gang rape as a weapon. They're killing children. They're burning entire villages down. I mean, they're doing all this crazy stuff, you know, in, in response to, uh, what they have sold as a terrorist threat, you know, they're just wiping out civilians. I mean, it, it's complete, completely unacceptable. And so for the UN to take this latest stance is, is good to try and get prosecution. And it's also indicative of the separation because of, of the military and the, the elected government there, you know, there's a huge, I mean, imagine our military just being able to basically do whatever it wants in America, in our, inside of our own borders, just sort of rolling around doing whatever it wants. And our elected government's kind of like, uh, okay, you know, cool. Um, you know, they have no control over it. And, um, there, there has been some condemnation of, of certain figures in the civilian elected government, uh, that they haven't at least used even the tools that they do have to try and stop it. But you know, it's, it's, it's a whole mess and the military is really quite independent. Um, they, they've, they've written it into their constitution in in such a way the military have, has secured for themselves quite a bit of autonomous power. And that's a huge root in the problem. Yeah. It's pretty amazing how underreported this is. And that's why it's great. There's people like you who have written all these articles because we hear about everything going on in Syria you, you know, it's it's nonstop split screen debates on TV when that blows up. But yeah, this is horrific and does not really go reported in the mainstream media. No. And it, it part of it's because, like I said before, I mean, Myanmar's uh, first of all, their their media tactics are, are quite refined because, I mean, this is the longest standing war and the longest standing civil war in modern history. I mean, it's been going on since World War Two. There's you know, the fighting has not ceased and it's with different ethnic minorities. The Rohingya is just one of them. So you're talking about a military push against this Muslim minority. Well, you know, it doesn't have much to do with the fact that they're Muslim because, uh, one of the ones they're focusing on right now is like 90% Christian. I mean, it's, it's not a religious, you know, religion doesn't really have a whole lot to do with it. So, I mean, they're, they're pushing against all these ethnic minorities for, for a whole, host of reasons, um, that I probably (laughs) couldn't, it's, it's a long and complicated history, but essentially it's been going on for so long that a, they've refined the way that they talk about it in the public sphere and B people are just taxed to hearing about it. Oh, it's just more violence in Myanmar. You know, it's, it's, it's how do you report the same story or what, what appears to be the same story? Cause it's not uh, over and over and over. I mean, people don't barely even read the headlines on the war in Afghanistan and, and it's our troops that are there. So many people, you know, a lot of people do, but uh, no, you're a right, lot of people though. are There's just people that are with, like, again, oh, what we're, a, we're still over there. To be, yeah, exactly. What appears to be the same headline over and over. And, and, you know, yeah, sure. It might appear that way to, to the average reader, but to the dude on the ground or to the, you know, the person running through the jungle from, from their homes, I mean, certainly not the same old news for them. Um, and, and a push this big is, is pretty, 
pretty significant. I mean, 700,000 people being forced from their homes and a conservative estimate of 10,000 people being killed is pretty, pretty huge. Um, but it's insane. Yeah. Do, do you see any difference really happening though? Because we know, you know, with our history, the UN calls for things all the time and the UN says a lot, but there's yeah. rarely <laughs> a lot of action. Yeah. Um, you know, the ball is really in, in China and India's court. I, in my opinion, I mean, the U S has, has implemented some harsh sanctions toward Myanmar and I, I wish they would again, but, um, at the end of the day, you know, the, 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 well, Myanmar is not going to really feel the pressure until India and China start getting on board. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I would never, you know, I always say, I wish people would do something. I wish people would act in this regard, you know, so, so people would stand up against these guys. That doesn't mean military intervention. You know, there's a million other ways to deal with this kind of stuff. Um, but none of those are happening either. <laughs> so, um, so I, I don't know. I, I, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Myanmar, it doesn't want really, really negative international pressure. And I mean, they're talking about prosecuting these guys and, and the, the UN courts can, you know, this type of stuff, what, what, what will probably be Myanmar's strategy is to just do what they always do and just draw it out for so long until everyone basically forgets that it's happening. Uh, and they're really good at that. And the UN is probably also kind of incidentally good at that because everything they do takes forever. I mean, this has been going on for quite a while and the violence against the Rohingya has, has fundamentally changed the initial push. The initial like slaughter is over. Uh, not to say that the violence has totally stopped, but you know, their sluggishness in responding to that and condemning that with more than just words, you know, has already cost a lot. So I don't, you know, we'll see. (laughs) Um, but I think what they're saying is accurate. You know, it's just like you, like you said, you know, I I just hope it's more than talk. Yeah. I'm looking forward to continued uh, reporting on this issue because, uh, like I said, it goes underreported. And as you said, people perceive this as being the same story again and again when there mm-hmm. are obviously some updates happening, but the world is yeah. kind of turning a blind eye to a lot of it. Yeah. Um, the last thing we wanted to cover here was uh, any updates with the war in Afghanistan. We talked more in depth about this the last time that you were on, but mm-hmm. I was wondering if there was anything that, that you want to hit in uh, particular. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've been, I've been moving, States here. So, uh, I kind of fell behind a little bit on the last couple of weeks, but from what I understand, there was supposed to be a Russian summit with the Taliban and a bunch of countries. Um, and Afghanistan, uh, the Afghan government, you know, president Ghani, um, delayed that essentially because they didn't, they wanted, they want Afghanistan to lead these peace talks. And, and it sounds kind of like a, stubborn, selfish kind of move, but it it makes sense on some level because the Taliban basically sees if you, if you read their statements and if you look at everything, the way that they speak and the, and who they speak to and who they say they want to speak to, they basically see the Afghan government as like, um, small game, illegitimate puppets. And they want to talk to the people who they think are pulling the strings. And so and then the Afghan government, they know that, okay, if the Taliban is, if we're ever going to have a lasting peace agreement, they have to take us seriously as a, as a, our own entity. Um, and that, you know, anyone that's been there and worked with Afghan security forces and whatnot knows that, the, you know, that's going to take some serious doing. Um, but, but it's certainly possible. And, and that's the direction I think everyone is, is trying to head toward uh, a sort of, I don't want to say it's a, saving grace because it's just more war, but a uniting factor could be, uh, is the ISIS pres or the IS presence in, in Afghanistan, the Taliban hate them. The, uh, you know, the Afghan government hates them. Uh, and, and that could potentially be a common enemy and a uniting factor, you know, maybe, I mean, I'm very, I'm a very optimistic person and I've been watching these peace talks pretty closely and really hopeful about them, but you know, I'm also not, unrealistic about them it it, it, you know they're walking a knife's edge with it all so we'll we'll see where it goes yeah well for any major updates on what's going on in the region 
Uh, check out thenewsrep.com. We're going to continue to report on that type of thing. Uh, you can follow Luke on Twitter at, I always love saying the Twitter name, <laughs> Lay Ginger Rob, but it's spelled at L-E-S underscore G-I-N-G-E-R-A-B-L-E-S. I still think if you had a more reasonable Twitter handle, you'd probably have more <laughs> followers, but that's probably. your Twitter handle. So if you guys want to write that down again, it's at L-E-S underscore G-I-N-G-E-R-A-B-L-E-S. And then Instagram is a little bit more normal at Luke.Ryan.LLTB at Luke.Ryan.LLTB on Instagram. Always love having you on, man. Uh, any other stuff to look forward to? I mean, the book just came out, so that's really mm-hmm. the latest, right? Yep, I'm I'm working on some shorter creative stuff, and then I'm going to dig into the next book here pretty soon. I've already started outlining it. Kick that's ass, pretty much man. it, man. Well, hey, love having you on. I, I hope the new book does really well and uh, that people get connected to these characters because they'll have them for another two books in the future. Um, yeah, man. But I uh, always love talking to you, and, and thanks for doing this. All right. Later, brother. As I said, I always enjoy having Luke on. I think we covered a wide array of topics there. Um, and Luke is, you know, always working on stuff and, and covering news that the mainstream media is ignoring and uh, just uses his experience to be able to talk about some underreported articles going on in the media. Uh, There's only one club out there with gear handpicked by special operations military veterans from several branches. And that, of course, my friends, is Great Club. I'm looking forward to the future collaboration we're doing with NFW Watches for an exclusive Great Club watch for premium tier members. That's coming soon. We have different tiers of membership depending on how prepared you want to be. And gift options are available as well. You can check that all out at crateclub.us. Once again, that's crateclub.us. For you dog owners, check this out. You're going to love this. We've just partnered with Kuna. They have a team of trained canine handlers picking out a box for your dog every month of healthy treats and training aids. It's custom built for your dog's size and age as well. The products are U.S. sourced, all natural, and they not only promote a healthy diet, but they also promote being active with your dog. So whether we're talking a pit bull or a chihuahua, this is just what you're looking for. You can see all of that at kuna.dog. That's kuna.dog. It's efficient for you. Your dog will appreciate it as well, of course. And that's spelled C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. Also, as a reminder for those listening, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to the Spec Ops channel. That's our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops channel premiere show Training Cell follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel. That's at specopschannel.com and take advantage of a limited time offer of 50% off your membership. That's only $4.99 a month. Check out the app, the Spec Ops channel app and the new news rep app. If you go on the app store, I did notice that my soft rep app is now the news rep app, which has the podcast and all that. Um, You know, I, I saw that. Some people saw that there were some changes in the podcast uh, on the NewsRep app. I don't know much about it, but I brought it to the attention of Chris, who does all that stuff, and I think he's working on all that now. I mean, nonetheless, there's a million places you can listen to this podcast, so it shouldn't be that big of a concern. You can listen on Google Play, on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, uh, on Stitcher. We're pretty much everywhere you get podcasts. The only place uh, we're not right now is Spotify, I think, because Spotify is like super selective about podcasts they put on the app. I don't know the whole deal, but that's like the only place uh, you won't get the podcast. So, you know, if, if you're having trouble with the app, there's a ton of other options for you to check out. And if you're listening to me, which you are, chances are I'm preaching to the choir because you're not having any trouble listening to the podcast. Um Anyway, uh, a small bit of news from a call I had this morning with the team 
it, uh, you, a lot of you did notice that on the newsrep.com, there's no soft rep radio section. This was obviously of concern to me. I brought it to people's attention. Uh, they're kind of restructuring everything. Uh, but this is still soft rep radio, as I've mentioned as many times as I can. Uh, I get a ton of questions about it. Uh, no changes over here. We're still soft rep radio. But it looks like soft rep radio is going to move over to the loadoutroom.com um, in terms of like where we'll put the articles up. So that, yeah, is going to be sent over there, I think, in the coming days. So if you're not a regular visitor to the loadout room, check out that site. It's loadoutroom.com. Scott Whitner, the editor over there, does an amazing job of putting up gear stuff. And it just looks like that's more the direction we're at than where the news rep is right now, although we'll obviously have those writers on. It's still the same company, though, guys. It's still Hurricane Media, all under the same umbrella. We've changed up in the past. You know, if you've been following what was um, Force 12 and has become Hurricane Media, there's been sites that we've added, that we've gotten rid of. That's just been the nature of the business uh, since we've come around. So there's there's always changes happening and always um, revisions taking place. But this show has been Soft Rep Radio for the past five plus years. So no changes on that end. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this new episode up on Friday. And I know a lot of you are missing Jack. Jack will be back next week. And we have some great guests lined up, some people in studio. I look forward to that. See you guys soon. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.